All right, guys, welcome to the very first edition of the NRL Hunter Series podcast. I am here with co-founder, uh, rifleman extraordinaire, legend, the man, the myth, <laughs> the whole nine yards, Mr. Scott Satterley, who I think I just embarrassed a little bit. But uh, Scott, welcome to the show. Um, this show wouldn't exist without you. Um, if you can, for... The people out there that aren't familiar with who you are, if you can give us a little bit of a, a background, um, your background professionally, but also your hunting background, um, so we can give a little bit of context on how all of this started. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I mean, my my hunting and shooting background started when I was eight. So, I and then, um, you know, I borrowed, you know, 22s, BB guns, I mean, just pretty much everything you know, up until I was 10. And then my dad bought me my first like real centerfire rifle. Um, and I started doing my hunter safety courses and this is a, this is in the seventies guys. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying not to date myself too much, but yeah, I passed my hunter safety course in 1978. So, and then, yeah, I got, I got the rifle for my 10th birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So it's okay. It's all right. Um, and uh, my father and I, my, well, my, my dad grew up hunting in Montana. My mom actually grew up hunting as well. She lived out in White Sulphur Springs as a kid, and her and her dad would actually go shoot antelope, feed the family. Dad, Her dad was a school teacher, so they, they made almost nothing. Um, and, you know, dad in his childhood bounced back and forth between Alaska and Montana and Wyoming. And, you know, he grew up hunting and fishing um, it was just kind of the, you know, as Montanans, and you, you, it was almost subsistence at the time, right? Where you're, we're talking in the 40s and 50s, you know, Montana, you know, I don't think Montana had a grocery store till the 80s or something. I don't know. It's crazy. I'm joking. Um, but not really, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, um, the, you know, so the, the, the tradition, the family tradition of hunting has been, you know, all the way through, it's generational, right? So I think my dad's side of the family has been in the U.S. since the 1600s. So it's, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, it's, we've just been in this part of the country, you know, historically for, as a family for three, 400 years. So it's just kind of one of those um, things that, you know, I grew up hunting, um, I think I shot, I shot my first deer when I was 11. Um, and then I, you know, we started, uh, doing coyote hunting and we started migrating kind of, we were in Western Washington. So we would hunt out in Eastern Washington and Montana, Wyoming, Oregon, Idaho. Um, and that's kind of where the long range, you know, and even then, you know, that wasn't long range. We were what we thought long range, 400 yards is a long shot today's standards that's pretty easy um but you know we had 270s and we did the old jack o'connor and stuff i mean i'm just kind of it it it, i get excited about hunting um and then uh militarily um so i joined the military in 87 and i got out for a little while and and i didn't really get a chance to hunt much in the military the scheduling and stuff i think when I was in the Rangers, I hunt twice. I think I went 
hunting with my dad twice. And then, um, and then I got out and I actually lived in San Diego for quite a, t- quite a while. And then when I went back in the military, I would hunt in Tennessee. And I think the neat thing about Tennessee is you can do, um, archery, black powder and, and a centerfire rifle, and you can take up to 12 deer and then two extras on post. So you could, you know, shoot 14 deer a year. They're not huge, but they're corn fed. So I mean, they, the, they're white tail and they taste amazing. So on that, I spent, you know, whenever I could, when I was home, I would hunt with a guy named Marcus Brigman. Um, and we'd go out every, every weekend and, and hunt in Tennessee, East Tennessee, and then, um, uh, and Kentucky. So, and we had a lot of luck on, on shooting on the cornfields and bean fields instead of sitting in a tree stand, we had access to a guy's property. He was an old, uh, wheelchair bound vet and we just bring him stuff and, and he'd let us shoot and kill stuff on his property. And, um, you know, we, we basically climb up into a tobacco barn and just kind of hang out in that tobacco barn and just, you know, morning and evening, they'd come right out in the fields and we had really good luck, um, hunting in that fashion, you know, out in, in traditionally where guys will sit in a tree stand now, black powder and archery, we, we do the tree stand thing just cause that's the best way to do it. But by the time we were, you know, we had in the seasons kind of went the same way where, you know, archery, black powder, um, centerfire rifle. So by the time, you know, uh, archery season was over, the tree stands in that those areas were kind of burned anyway. So it just, we just went from the tree stand to a little bit more of a stocking or, you know, sitting out over an area with the black powder. And then we'd, we'd hit the tobacco barns towards the end of the season with the rifle. Um, but then, um, so that was, I was in a long range surveillance unit then, and then I went to selection and then it seemed like once, once I went to selection and graduated the Q course and got to first group, it was like, I was just never around to hunt. So it was almost 20 years where, well, and nine 11 kicked off. So, you know, I was supposed to go hunting with dad, um, in October of, 2001 but i was on an airplane to pakistan by then so that was the last real opportunity i had to hunt until i retired so um and then i just started getting back into it again and then you know seeing how the the point systems works and trying to navigate my way through um you know trying to get preference points and areas and i mean there's so much information out there that these guys have as far as, you know, what areas to go to, what to put in for, you know, it's anymore. It's almost like I almost have to just pay to play because it's, you know, so I save up some money every year just to go hunting. Right. Um, just cause I don't, I don't have the preference points anymore. Um, I'm still pretty darn busy training guys to shoot and, and then of course competing. So, um, I just have kind of let that whole side of it, um, basically it just kind of went away. You know, I didn't know, you know, when I was deployed all the time, I didn't know I was, I should have been building up preference points and stuff like that. But either way, um, started hunting again, um, four years ago. So 
since then I've been to, you know, Wyoming for cow, cow elk. Um, I got a, a deer in Idaho this year. Um, and then I went to South Africa, which was awesome. Um, went with, uh, the guy who's sponsoring us, Red Sands Safari, uh, Neil Becker, awesome dude, young guy, li- likes to walk. He's not the drive up and shoot stuff, kind of a hunter. So, um, I'm super excited about that place, um, as one of those things that, you know, we can provide for, you know, whoever pulls that off the prize table. Cause, um, that was one of the coolest experiences I've had in a long time hunting, um, you know, we got a really nice kudu, a really nice, um, sable. And then, you know, the, the, the typical, the zebra impala, uh, bless buck, warthog. And it was just, it was just neat that there was that much stuff out there. Um, you know, it's just never, it's, uh, you know, I've been in big herds, you know, like out at Q Creek with Tad, like, you know, the next thing you know, we're in this herd of five or 600 elk, which is pretty cool. I mean, you can see them from a long way, but then you get into, uh, at least that part of South Africa during the time I was there, it was the end of the rainy season. So it was just like jungle. I mean, you, you'd be walking along and there'd be a, a zebra looking at you like, holy Jesus, you know, just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then, um, you know, just the the proximity to stuff that want to eat you there kind of made it interesting as well. Where, you know, I'm we're sitting there and it's like, man, we got about thirty minutes of hunting left. And he's like, no, we need to go to the car now. And he's like, well, but but it's still light outside. And he's like, and you know, and it is uniquely South African accent. He's um, he's like, no, we need to go back to the car because now we're 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 in the food chain now. And he's like, there's hyenas. <laughs> Is here and jaguars and and we're easy. <laughs> it's like okay, we're done hunting. All right, let's go to the car. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and that started me thinking about, you know, what I plan on bringing next. And I think, um, you know, I want to. There was some opportunity to shoot animals at at you know three four hundred yards, and I've got a three seventy five Ruger that I put together just for that. And I mean, it's it's going to be lethal to eight hundred yards. But then now I'm starting to think about maybe I should attach a red dot, you know, over the top of the, the right, you know, it's a two and a half to 20, but at 15 feet, two and a half power is probably not what you want. If something's, you know, a hyena or a jaguar or something like that, red dot might be the better way to go for something like that. Quick acquisition, quick shot type stuff. So. You know, I'm just looking, I'm just looking at, you know, the, each, each inv- hunting environment that we go to is going to have kind of its unique challenges, which I, what I like about this. Most of our, most of our matches are in the, in the, in the West and kind of in the Rocky, Rocky Mountain region, which is, but there's so much different terrain out there like that Western Montana, that's going to be a lot different terrain than the wyoming one like to wyoming match you know you there isn't going to be a bunch of trees there's a lot of sagebrush so you know finding a position to shoot from could be a challenge you know what i mean versus you know if you're in the timber you can always find something to shoot off of that'll get you elevated but then you have to clear your line of sight to the target or your trajectory to the target um 
So I just think there's going to be some really cool and unique um, opportunities out there. You know, Tennessee is going to be different. New Hampshire, we were just talking about that a second ago. That's going to present a unique challenge. It's not going to be the shooting aspect of it or the wind aspect of it, maybe. Like Wyoming is going to present an enormous wind challenge for guys. Um, maybe not necessarily finding the targets, but Lazem is going to be a challenge because they're going to have to be elevated a little bit. And understanding how your laser works is going to be a chore. You know, I mean, it's just going to be a chore getting the right distance. Um, and I think New Hampshire is going to uh, provide a similar challenge, but it's, I think it's going to be tougher to find targets um, because of the timber. And then it's also going to be tough to find the lays the correct distance for that target because of the timber again. Right. So um, I'm, I'm super excited about how this is going to unfold over the season. Um, so you kind of jumped ahead a little bit here, which is great because I – I think everybody can hear your <laughs> excitement and, and, and passion for yeah. the NRL Hunter series. But people, like, this is brand new. This has never been done before. Um, you literally invented this type of competition, and, and that started last year with the, the Hornet Precision Rifle match. Um, right. How did you come up with this theory? Why did you come up with this theory? And then... Let's talk about how he turned it into a series and why. All right. I've been looking at, um, and, and, and this isn't, basically what I took was like four different match concepts and just put them into one. So um, I've shot Rifleman's Team Challenges, which they have kind of that 3-2-1 scoring model, which I like. Um, I've shot some, or I've, Talked to a bunch of guys that have shot some of the competition dynamics. I've shot the Mammoth Sniper Challenge. So I've been shooting competition since um, when I moved back, 2009. And so I've been exposed to a lot of different competitions. And basically what I did with this was I took, um, I took everything that I liked out of other matches and kind of put them into one format. And then what I wanted to do was... Um, is you know kind of challenge our this is going to be a challenge for um you know our kind of our prs nrl model you know the race gun model um you know i've got a couple of those rifles and i did and it's purpose built purpose driven it's an awesome platform but i don't do anything else with that rifle so for a lot of folks it's 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 uh, cost prohibitive to just jump right in to the NRL centerfire world. You know, I mean the, the NRL 22 world is, is nice. Cause you know, you can kind of creep into that $8,000 rifle, you know, and, and a lot of people do, they'll start off with a 1022, you know, then they upgrade to a, you know, a Tika and then they upgrade to a, a, a voodoo. And then, you know, they want a Zermat. And then, I mean, it's, you know, you can get as far down the, rabbit holes you want you know with those but again now we're starting to talk about a very purpose-driven rifle and um you know if i was sitting in a tree stand i, I could use my center fire race gun um but that doesn't work out i mean there isn't a whole lot of tree stands where i'm at what we do out here is you have to spot spot them come on coming off the the alfalfa fields put them to bed 
and then try to get, you know, three, 400 yards from them and make a shot. Um, and that's still kind of close out here. I think the last, the last deer I shot was 480 in Idaho and, and, and they were looking at me. They knew I was there already. And I'm, I walked, you know, clear around a mountainside and got up into this saddle and they're still kind of looking at me like, you know, what's going on. Um, and then it's open ground, you know, completely just grass from me to the animal. So the only other way would be to walk completely around him again um, and then get up over the top of him and shoot down, which would have been about 100 to 200 yard shot. But at that point, that's the direction the wind was blowing. So I would have been blown out anyway. The vision for this was how do we get folks comfortable with a 600 yard shot? So Matt, Yor and I do uh, a class, precision hunting class through sawtooth rifles. And the goal of this thing is to make guys comfortable, completely 100% comfortable taking a, a mule deer sized animal out to 600 yards. They can shoot further, but the goal is for that to become an easy shot for them. Um, so we've been doing this for a couple of years. We do two, two days of class and then we take them on a steel safari, which is completely plagiarizing Zach Smith's competition dynamics match, but it's exactly what it is. And we just hiked this ridge line out by uh, Doug's place. And I've got, you know, one, uh, 12 inch targets down in the, in what we call the, um, the sod banks, you know, cause that's where the mule deer would hide. Anyway, we just walk along and, and find the target, make a plan, make the shot. And then we keep walking to the next one. And what that does for these guys and some of these guys have never hunted or never shot past hundred yards. Um, what it does for them is it, it kind of really opens up their, their eyes and their, of what, the modern rifle system is capable of, um, in a hunting platform too, not, you know, a, uh, 25 pound, you know, 22 BR or something, but you know, a legit 12 to 13 pound hunting rifle with a bipod tripod you know, anything you need to make the shot with. Um, and they come away from that course, super comfortable with it. Um, and what I want to try to do, so we're breaking down the, uh, the race gun model. We're trying to be like, hey, let's, let's start making more um, uh, versatile rifles. Um, and now let's start upping the skills of these guys that are, are, are hunters. Give them an opportunity to go out and shoot at steel. Because the best thing about steel is you can shoot it more than once. And it won't die. And if you miss it, you're not injuring it. You know, all you're doing is hurting your pride. So at that point, um, it's an, it's an, you know, you figure one of our matches plus a train up would be the equivalent of about 20 years worth of hunting experience. So the NRL Hunter Series, you know, when you did, uh, well, when I came to your house in October of last year, um, for a, a match, you'd already accomplished your your theory, so to speak, with the Hornet Precision match. And yep. that match sold out. You had, I mean, I heard, I wasn't able to make it, but I heard nothing but positive things about that match, all the way from um, setup to execution to 
target uh, placement. I mean, the whole thing was just a huge success. And you and I basically, on, on that week that I came up and hung out with you um, in October, we had talked about how cool it was and some of the things that you wanted to do different if you did it again. And mm -hmm. I don't know if it was, you know, the the steak or the whiskey, but we decided somewhere in between the two that we were going to start <laughs> a series. Well, yeah, and and the so you know me, I'm 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 really big on customer feedback loop. So you know, if they're like, "Hey, we would really like to see this," and I see more than one of those comments, it's like, "Okay, that's a really good idea. How do we implement it?" And then and those were some of the changes that you know, I was, you were talking about doing, um, you know, like not painting targets and having aiming stakes and, you know, having less RO feedback with the shooter and some of the other things that would make the, make the, uh, it would make the match cleaner. It would also make it a little bit tougher. Um, so, and that's the thing is like, it's like, I don't make a change unless I get enough feedback from customers. And then it's like, okay, we'll make a change. You right. know, and I'm, super easy going with that stuff and we've got a lot of questions and stuff and like we we started the the facebook uh the facebook page and it's like you know that's a good idea let's figure that out you know i mean like so it's reactive and, and some people are like that some people you know it's like man you're making all these changes and stuff and i was like it's changes for the better um but yeah it was um and one of those things was a lot of guys were like we need a series I mean, a lot of guys were probably half the people that shot the match had come back saying, um, you know, we, we really would like to see a series out of this, you know, and it's not going to be a big 50 match series. It's just never going to be that big. There isn't enough areas that can support a match like this, let alone match directors that want to do it. So, um, so it's going to be a, always going to be kind of a smaller um, Boutique footprint, yeah. right, right. But it's something that we need to do. It's it's a it's a product that we've needed to offer our our uh, members for a long time. Just because it's you know the it, it's kind of like one of those things for me. It's like you know you get a matchbook, you see all the distances. You know you might check them in the morning, but you know or you know you go to a new stage and you're like were the distances in the book correct? And they're like yeah, it was pretty good. It's like Okay, all of a sudden now your your OODA loop, your decision making process has just gotten so much smaller, you know, and I felt like I was really losing some of the abilities to, you know, find targets, laze targets, you know, do the whole entire shooting sequence on my own. And that was one of the things that really, you know, kind of pushed me into wanting to do a match like this is I just felt like in some ways we're losing the, the ability to control a lighter rifle with a little more recoil, something that's going to be appropriate for killing big Western game. Um, or, and you know, it, cause it'll kill a whitetail as well. You know, I'm like, it'll kill pigs, it'll kill bears. You know, I'm, I mean, some of the, anyway, we're getting down another rabbit hole, but, um, that's really kind of what drove me to do this match from the beginning. And I've actually been thinking about it for probably three years of doing a match like that. And then I reached out to you. We were talking. I was like, hey, these guys really want to do a series. 
I don't have the bandwidth to do that. I don't I don't know marketing super well. I don't know computers. I don't have websites. Um, I just have ideas, and sometimes they work out good. Sometimes they don't. But um, and that's why you know we, you and I connected, and it's it's kind of it was organic to begin with because it's like you know I've been working with NRL for a long time anyway. So at that point, it's like you know we should probably do this. Yeah, and and. The inception of the idea, what I really love about this idea is it becomes a, it's become something other than just a match. Meaning when we talked about it, we didn't want this to be a playground for a new playground for NRL, PRS, uh, race gun competitors, right? We wanted right. this to be a platform that anybody who hunts or wants to get into hunting who has you know a a safe reliable weapon in their safe rifle can come out and compete now it's a competition because as humans it's, everything's a competition it doesn't matter everything's a competition who's got the who's got the better job who's got the the nicer house who's got whatever humans in general always are competitive this competition is not so much who's the best shooter or who's the best uh person at finding targets it's how are you becoming better yourself you're competing with yourself and your close group of friends that you mm -hmm. come out with because if you come out and you learn something that you didn't know when you came out before you came out, then you've already won, right? So that's a fact. I'm um, I'm 42 years old. For my four, you know, right when I turned 42 for my birthday, Brittany, um, my better half, sent me on a hunting trip, and I went out there with with Paul Dallin, who's easily one of the best shooters in the nation, and Terry Diston, who's a phenomenal competitor shooter, and. Not only was I successful in harvesting a, an animal, but I learned so much that weekend that the knowledge I walked away with is as, if not more valuable than the cow elk I took. And that's mm -hmm. the type of experience that we want people to come out here and learn. Um, you know, a lot of hunters traditionally, especially generational hunters, have you know learned whatever their their father or their best friend or brother or whoever taught them you know 200 yard zero and mm -hmm. kentucky windage and this and that and that's great when you're shooting within a couple of hundred yards but with mm -hmm. so many new people getting into hunting and animals becoming more skittish and aware of that hunters are now having to take further and further shots statistically Mm -hmm. So, when you and I talked, one of the biggest things that we are concerned about with hunting is ethics, and that's you know we'll talk. That's a whole other topic that you know could last for hours. But the biggest thing that we agreed on was ethical hunting is being able to know how to take that animal at that distance, and when, and when, right? Yeah. That's that's the next thing. And, what, and we can't answer that question for folks, but all up to, you know, hey, this is 
and what this does is gives them an opportunity to see where they're success. They know they're going to be successful. Right. Right. And it, yeah, right. Because, you know, I've, I've been hit up by it and he's like, well, why are you, sh- why are you shooting out to 900 to a thousand yards, you know, with this power factor and this rifle and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, this is a competition. It's also an education. Personally, I probably would never take a shot at, uh, you know, a, a big elk at a thousand yards with a, you know, a minimally capable rifle, you know, six, five Creedmoor with one forties, like 2750 or whatever. I probably wouldn't do that. I probably wouldn't do that with a 300, with a 300 wind mag, but it, it would be one of those things that would kind of enter my, my thought process, right? That would be in my, that'd be in my OODA loop would be, where is it? What time is it? You know, how much, how much timber is there around? Am I going to be able to find this thing if I don't hit it solid? Right. You know what I mean? And those are, those are those things that you learn when you're hunting, but all up until that, we're providing the environment for these guys, the hunters, guys, gals, kids, everybody to try to take that shot and see how successful they are. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, you're shooting at something, uh, 12 by 20 at, a thousand yards that gets small really fast oh for sure um right um and that's what i liked about it was it's like so the 300 400 500 600 yard shots on a 12 by 20 you know isn't the toughest guys are still gonna miss um and and rightfully so i mean there's gonna be wind there's gonna be elevation weird positions etc um but that's giving them a feedback that's giving that individual feedback like i can make that shot right Right. and i have the ability i have the. that's right exactly and it it gives them kind of their left and right limit of okay i didn't i only hit about 50 percent of my targets it's past 600 yards but i hit everything 500 and in okay so 500 and in is your new number Right. right and and, you know, what I found, too, as far as more of the, you know, in the last three or four years, I've shot animals at further distances than I ever did when I was a kid. But they didn't run. They just they just took the bullet and stood there and bled out. It was the craziest thing. Right. I was like, they just didn't know they were being hunted. Right. You know, they, you know, so they aren't all amped up. They're not all running around. They're not, you know juiced up on adrenaline because they're like there's somebody out there and they can smell you and hear you um you know but they're just a lot more relaxed so you know it gives you options you know to to, right you know and change go ahead well i was gonna say i think what you were gonna say is it changes your perspective on on your hunt yes it changes the way you plan a hunt you know you don't have to get to 200 yards to make a uh, a clean ethical kill not at all you know 500 yards i'm pretty comfortable 600 um 600 and in i i think i can make that shot you know anytime anywhere um no matter what the winds are bad weather whatever i think i can make that shot um but again now you're talking about you know light am i going to have all day to look for this thing or is it almost dark you know right. kind of does it make sense does it make sense to try this shot, right? right. So, so how much pain do you want to take? 
right? <laughs> right. All the works, I learned that very quick on the hunt with, uh, that I just did. All the work starts once you heart, once you shout the animal, then it gets hard. Exactly. Right? That's when the work begins. Exactly. Yep. So, okay. NRO Hunter, the format is, you know, uh, every stage is blind, meaning you don't know um, what you're going to do until you get up to your, uh, your staging area. And then right. you're not, you know, you're not able to see targets or anything until you actually get to your shooting position. Uh, Correct. All targets are going to be roughly the same size at 12 by 12, 12 by 18, um, roughly the, the size of big game uh, vitals, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So yep. that's going to be, you know, whether the target's at 100 yards or 1,000 yards because vital signs, you know, they, they don't and change. They don't change size. Right. That's right. Um, scoring. First round impact, you get two points. Yep, and you go to the next target. If you miss on the first you one. Said you get an opportunity for one more shot, and if you connect, you get one point. Either way, you're on to your next target. So it, it's a, kind of a target-neutralized format to where, you know, if, if you hit that, if you connect on the first shot, you've hit the vital signs, vitals on the animal, and you go to the next. So if there's four targets, you have four engagements. Each engagement is up to two shots. But, you know, you could clean the stage in four or you can, you know, Shoot all take eight. eight shots. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if it's tough. That's okay. right. So um, it, it reduces the round count on the matches too, which is what, you know, I kind of like as well. I don't I, – I do like high round count matches with my race gun. Um, but the prioritization is different. Right. For – I mean, for the big center fire matches, the, our prioritization is on that first round hit, finding and lay and finding and getting the distance, which that's going to be know, the hardest part. That's going to be the hardest part. That's right, and it's also I think the the most exciting stuff on optics is coming out because of stuff like this. Um, right. You know, you've got your Leica with applied ballistics. You got your new Fury with applied ballistics. You've got your Sig products with with their solver in it and and that is the for me that's the most exciting aspect of this whole thing because the you're getting so much more information off of one piece of equipment right before you'd, you'd be out there with a big set of binos trying to find it and then you'd laze it and then you get your kestrel out um it's super cumbersome and takes a lot of time to learn to get through all those things and the animal um, could be gone by then Right, exactly. It could be. Um, what I found, you know, kind of what I found with your longer range type engagements for hunting is, again, they don't know they're being hunted, so you have time to do all that. But it would be nice to be able to just, you know, into the wind, find the target, lays it, and it gives you the, it spits out the number for you. And now you're just waiting for a clean shot. You know, that's the one thing we can't duplicate with this is laying on the ground for 20 minutes, waiting for the animal to turn <laughs> and, and, and give you a, a nice broadside shot. We can't do that. It would take too much time. I know it would be kind of neat to be able to do stuff like that, but I don't know. 
Maybe if people would day. have the patience to do yeah. it. <laughs> maybe, yeah, one maybe one day. <laughs> There'll be like 10 guys that want to do that match. We're like, okay, no, you're going to have to sit in position for for 25 minutes, anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes, and wait for the, the animal to turn for you. And then you'll have like five seconds to shoot. Right. <laughs> Imagine that. That'd be terrible. That, I that mean, would that's be a rough day. <laughs> yeah, looking through your scope for 20 minutes, waiting for it to turn. One, two, three, four, five, gone. Yeah. I was Damn asleep. It, I, I missed. <laughs> and that, that's stunning, though. <laughs> um, okay, there's three different divisions. We have a factory division, which is any factory rifle off of our pre approved list um, that is readily available. That's right. Um, and it has to be under 12 pounds with, you know, every accessory that you're going to use on that rifle. So that's uh, right. your scope, you know, if you're going to shoot suppressed, you can. That has to be under your bipod, your sling, your two-round holder, yeah. everything except the weight of the magazine and ammunition. That's right. Um, that's right. And then we have open light, which is 12 pounds, but there's no price limit. You could custom build a rifle. You can go get a magnesium carbon fiber ultra lightweight fancy ten thousand mm-hmm. dollar rig. It doesn't matter if that's what you want. That's what you want, but it has to be mm-hmm. under twelve pounds, with the same specifications of all accessories Correct. at check-in. And yep. then the same thing. We have open heavy, which is sixteen pounds or less, um, mm-hmm. no limits, just the weight and all accessories on that rifle. Correct. And think of it this way, guys, when when we get a lot of questions, I know Travis has been field some of these questions too. When if you have a question about this, think about it this way. When you're done shooting and you come off of a stage and you take the magazine out, your rifle could be weighed right then and there. Right. So and that that's gonna happen, right? We're gonna do that. We're gonna have random weight, random check, you know, random weight uh times where we're gonna weigh your rifle. So if you don't shoot with a sling, you don't have to weigh your rifle with a sling. You know, if you're going to shoot with a, a specific bipod, okay. I've I've had guys ask me if they if they can you know switch their bipod out, and I was like, as long as you weigh it with the heaviest one, I don't see a problem with that. But I don't see a, a real need to do that either. Um, example like the. Uh, the match we had at Cameo, you could shoot that whole entire match with one bag and a bipod. A Harris, I set the right, I set the match up specifically for that. And one of the things that I've seen with, um, with uh, you know, kind of the the center fire race gun sport is, you know, you've you've been dictated. You have to shoot from here. You have to shoot from here. You have to shoot from here and here. Okay, and that is what has driven this rifle to be the way it is, versus. With these hunter matches, what I kind of the 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 guidelines we gave the match directors is like give them a twenty foot box to shoot from. They can pick any position they want to. If you can see the target, and use whatever gear they want, it just has to be packed up before they get to the shooting area. So you can have binos and rifle in hand, and that's it. Everything else has to be in your backpack. And so, everything has to be deployed uh, on the clock. That's right. Everything's deployed on the clock, which. We're taking that from, uh, you know, Kalen Wojcik and and um, and Philip. Yeah. Like, I love that idea. So why not incorporate it? You yeah, know? It makes sense. Um, 
So I mean, yeah, it's a million different ideas. But yeah, basically, yeah, your your factory gun. And I'm excited about this because it's gonna. I think it's gonna morph over time. It already has in a couple of spots where guys have said, "Well, this rifle they make." And the, then how we kind of came up with the factory rifle it is is that you can go buy it at a Cabela's, and you could start competing. Right. That's the whole purpose behind factory rifle, um, and it's like you said before, it's available. And but it has to be an unmodified skew completely unmodified rifle so um if it didn't come with a thread adapter and a muzzle brake as soon as you put a th as soon as you uh thread it so that you can put a muzzle brake on it it's now a custom gun right i mean it, instead of coming up with a million different ways to you know this rule for this you know muzzle brakes you know rule one bazillion <laughs> right, right? 1.1 1 .1 dot bazillion you know we don't it, that that's just crazy and i and it kind of be confusing that they're you know it's for for a lot of folks that really like to have everything spelled out well this isn't going to be that kind of that kind of deal this is going to be like the 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 rules say this unmodified skew you drilled a hole in your stock sorry man it's it's now a modified gun because right. we don't know what else is going to go on there so and, and um the whole purpose and, is is not to game the sport it's to become a better hunter. So if you with the equipment it, you own, yeah, with what yeah. you own. If if you want to game the sport and and you know start hiding and adding weights and doing this and that, you know, go to the race gun series. That's what that's for. This is, right. you know, this is designed around practical hunting, and that's, right. that's why we're not telling you you have to be in the prone or you have to be kneeling or you have to be on a tripod. We're not telling you any of that stuff figure it out because when you're hunting you have to figure you're gonna have to out. figure it out that's yeah. right if you want to shoot elevated do it if you want to shoot in the prone try to find a spot in the prone to shoot from and and that's kind of the exciting that's what i liked about it was there was a couple of stages that we had at cameo that guys used a whole i mean they used a lot of different stuff and i was like i wouldn't have thought of using that but that's that looks really good right. you know so and um but you and have then, to, you, know, they, you have to start and finish with everything in your that you start with. That's right. And when you pick your brass up, you're you're not going back to the original your holding area. You're walking to the next holding area. Right. So you don't ever get to go back to you know, like if you're in stage eleven holding area, as soon as you're done shooting, you're going to stage twelve holding area. Right. Right. And then another thing that we were doing is there there's no way we can have literally 20 blind stages so there's going to be spots where you you know competitors are going to be able to see what's going on where they're shooting from and the general location of the targets but we're not going to allow guys to use observation devices in the holding area it just kind of defeats the purpose so there's a bald eagle right there anyway that's <laughs> squirrel Eagle. Yeah, sorry guys. I'm mean, like, I'm, I just felt America. Anyway, um, but yeah, that's that's the whole purpose behind it. As well as you know, like we, we kind of double tap on that factory rifle is that's gonna that's gonna evolve over time as well. This is just a starting point, and it's not the end all be all. And you and I know this, right. but you know sometimes there's some you know once something like this starts, it's kind of like there's a feeling of finality that folks have 
And I was like, that's just not the way this is going to go down. This is going to continue to get better with shooter feedback loop over the course of however long this thing goes. And, and, you know, to kind of double tap the factory rifle thing too, is that it's like, we're looking at, you know, 5,000, if that company makes over 5,000 rifles and it doesn't have to be that specific model, 5,000 rifles, if they just make over 5,000 rifles annually, then we can start looking at as a, as a factory producer. But it has to be you a know, hunting like, style rifle, correct? Because yeah, somebody yeah. somebody brought up old Accuracy International makes five thousand, but Accuracy International is a military contract company. They don't they don't build a hunting rifle, right? Um, but you know exactly, and and they have so many different. Um, I mean, if you they wouldn't make the weight class anyway, right? And they're not sold at you know what I mean? That, that, Right, and the the action weighs five pounds, so I mean, right. like you can put a carbon you can put a carbon fiber on it, and and you lighten up the chassis a little bit and make sixteen pounds, and that's fine. But, but yeah, to actually make a factory to make twelve pounds is not an easy job. It's not it's not easy. I'm I'm I think the custom light is probably going to be the most popular. It seems uh, that way so far. In it's going to be the most popular when everybody's trying to make that twelve pounds. And, um, it's hard, right? So I got, you know, a, uh, 30 ounce stock, a 30 ounce scope, uh, a 21 and a half ounce action. And then you got the trigger and you got the bipod and you got a, um, you know, a, a carbon barrel. And even then it's kind of like, whew, you know, it's not that easy to get a 12 pound rifle to do what we needed to do in this series. Because now you're looking at a scope that's just going to weigh more because, it, one, it has to be durable. And, two, it, you have to be able to turn the knobs on it. You know, it has to be consistent. So I think some of your lighter scopes, like your Vortex AMG, your uh, Leopolds, um, I think they're still in, like, the 25 to 28-ounce category. And that doesn't include rings. Right. So, I mean, it's just... But, you know, uh, the way I look at it, too, is, is there's only one thing that has to work when you get to where you're going and get in front of an animal, right? And that's your rifle. So um, we kind of came... Then ahead. you have your traditional hunters that are going out there with, you know, some of their older school rifles that only weigh seven or eight pounds with, with their optic on it because they're not putting all this fancy new tech on it. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, they may not be able to reach out past four, 400 yards, but under 400 yards, they might be at 80% hit ratio. And that might be enough for them to win at that match. It might. You, Absolutely. I mean, it might. Know, right. Yep. yep. So there's the, the cool thing about this is there's absolutely a place for everybody no matter what level you compete at mm -hmm. or, or your skill level is. And this is the place to learn. And, <clears throat> you know, one of, you know, going back to your, your being able to, to spot through your binos and range and so on and so forth, you know, that was one of the biggest things, expenses that I paid for my hunting trip was I bought some Leica 3200.coms. And I was super mm -hmm. excited and everything. Um, and I didn't learn because I got them. I got them last minute. I didn't learn how to use them properly um, at during my hunt. So 
I used them in the glass, but I got all my ranges because Paul was there helping me. Paul mm. was using his his Leicas to get ranges, and I just used mine for glassing because I didn't know how to use them properly and efficiently. So, mm. you know, if I had done a hunter match beforehand, I would have figured all of that out. You know, and it's the stupid little things like how do you even get them out of your bino harness? Because I kept <laughs> having a problem, like it would catch on on my harness when I was pulling it out, and then. You know, it would catch when I was trying to put it back in because of the elastic or whatever. And mm -hmm. four minutes seems like an eternity, but four minutes isn't that long. It, it goes quick if you don't have your priorities of work set up, right? right? And that's 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 it too, you know, like having a nice chest rig. You know, where am I going to hold extra ammo? You know, I mean, it, 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 it it's a different set of problems that we're trying to solve. Or it's an it's additional problems that we're having to solve past the you know the center fire race gun stuff. Right. Um, you know how much am I going to carry? Where am I carrying it? You know, and it's like, and there's so many different ways we can go with this stuff. Like I'll probably carry like game bags and knives and just weird stuff that I normally would carry hunting because I can uh, you know you can use a game bag as a rest. Right. I mean, you can use your backpack as a rest. You can use your knife stuck into the side of a tree as a rest if you if, if you, you really to. wanted to. Yeah. Right. But, but that's you know, what this so, is for, is use it and treat it like a hunting right. trip. Right? Like, I've had some guys, oh, that's I right. can't afford right. it with hotels and this and that. Who said you had to stay in a hotel, bro? Bring your tent. When you go hunting, are you going to tent it or are you going to sleep in a hotel? I'm going to tent it. That's right. Bring your tent. You that's know, right. Your, your match registration covers you know two or three of your meals so pack the rest of your meals like you would when you're hunting learn how to use your 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 jet boil learn find out if your tent is actually good in, in the rain or snow or or you know if it's too much in 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 the heat figure yeah. all that out because you know if you're figuring it out on your hunt you've lost you could be really miserable yeah Lost. Right. <laughs> that's right and that's one of the things that and that's really why i want to go to chaz's match so bad in nebraska is because i haven't challenged my cold weather gear yes. in a long time right because right. i mean even when i was on even when i was in group man i was in asia bro it doesn't <laughs> i'm like the, the coldest i got in the coldest i've been in 20 years being a gb for real was uh, in Hawaii, <laughs> up on the bay, up on the mountain, up on the mountainside. No, seriously, it was like freaking November, and you know we're uh, yeah, it's, we're in Hawaii. We're down and we're like planning this thing in 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 uh, at Schofield Barracks, and it's eighty degrees. And we're like, ah, uh, you know, we're just we're just going to the Big Island. We're going to be over, you know, we're going to spend three or four days, you know wrecking in a target and then we might hit depending on you know, on triggers whatever anyway you know in the back of my mind i'm like you know what we're going out there as a qrf cell so you know we're going to be out there with the cells we're going to be walking you know water and doing comms and stuff with them um, i'm going to bring a cho liner just in case a poncho liner dude it still wasn't enough bro it got down into the 20s at night so we're out there in like <laughs> regular fatigues you know, and you wouldn't think, oh, man, I'm going to wear my body armor. No, you're going to wear it because that shit will keep some heat in. It got so freaking cold, 
anyway. Yeah, I mean, is uh, think killer. It's anyway. Like in, in Utah, you know, I went and shot um, while I was there on my hunt. I went and shot a NRL twenty two match, and I couldn't shoot because I I had to wear so many layers. I couldn't put the rifle. I couldn't get a cheek a cheek well on the rifle like I normally do because I was wearing almost like no joke. I was probably wearing close to thirty pounds of extra clothes to stay warm. Just to stay warm. Just, just to stay warm, and I couldn't. I couldn't get in prone like my traditional mm-hmm. prone. I couldn't get yep. the right sight picture because I was wearing so many clothes. I couldn't shoulder the rifle. All of this makes a difference. But what it made me realize was that when I went the next day when I was going hunting, no matter how cold it was, I couldn't wear half the crap that I was wearing because I'd never get a shot off. I'd never be able That's to right. ethically take that shot. You know, That's right. and and I was wearing these um, awesome gloves, the Kuyu glassing mitts or whatever. So mm-hmm. you know your your uh, middle ring and pinky finger are in one. You have your index and your thumb, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I quickly realized I can't shoot in these. They're too big. I'm not going to figure in the figure out how to get it in the trigger housing. So you know. Yep. So first thing, as soon as as soon as we saw the animal, jacket and glove came off. Mm-hmm. And then I just followed Paul's direction because I was lucky enough to be there with Paul and Terry. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if I hadn't known that. I, pro- I would have gotten the position, a horrible position, and, and I would have completely missed that opportunity. I and that's a fact. That and, and I plan on doing a bunch of that stuff for the drive, what I call the drive-to matches, the ones that I'm going to drive to. I'm going to do exactly what you just said, and I'm going to take all the stuff that I normally would take hunting, and that's exactly how I'm going to do it. I'm going to sleep there on site. I'm going to eat you know, the on site. I'm just going to test my stuff. Yeah. Right? And that's the biggest thing. That's the that's one of the coolest things about this whole entire series is that it's giving guys an opportunity to test out their stuff, you know yes. what I mean? And that's another reason like why I said I want to go to Chaz's match so bad is cuz you know, I'm going to be able to see how my my I bought this awesome system. You know, it says it's really good and we it hasn't gotten super cold here, so you know at at a few different layers it it does work awesome and i can still shoot but you know i'm hoping to challenge it a little bit a little bit further absolutely and you know one of the you know we brought this up earlier in the show one of the biggest prizes that we have for our championship which is the grand slam in august is we have a five-day hunt in south africa by red sands yeah are you going to go to South Africa without knowing your gear? That's a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> opportunity. And right. Do you want to go unprepared and, you know, have all this shit that you don't need and nothing that you do? Or do you want to yeah. figure it out throughout the season what actually works, how your rifle's set up, how, you know, your binoculars, how, whatever, how all your gear exactly. works. Exactly. It, you can do it. Yeah. You know? You, you have it right yeah and uh, and just by going the, the 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 first time i was like man i took away so many lessons on like i'm not gonna take my really awesome you know lathrop and sons hunting boots to south africa they're they're hot they're noisy and I, you don't really need them because it doesn't get very cold there so right. like i literally went and they i think they call them skins or something like that it's like just it's just a, a shell of leather and a rubber sole Super quiet, 
take a little getting used to, especially with feet like mine, but they, I mean, they're quiet, you know? And I'm like, you just, I just went to the store and paid like 20 bucks for them or something. I'm like, and they're, that's all you need for hunting shoes. You can, you can hunt there and chuck tailors if you wanted to, but you know, I'm not sure depending on where you're going, a 28 nozzle is the right answer there either. Cause you might have a 30 yard shot. You know what I mean? It's like, but 28 nozzles well, is awesome at 400 yards. That's but you just don't gear. know what that's knowing your gear and what you're there for, right? You know, and, and that's you know when you and I sat down and, and we literally handpicked which matches or which areas we wanted to have matches in. And yeah. I think you know when we were looking at this, we looked at all of the different terrain was number one, and then the the um, the match directors, yeah, the match, the match directors, directors are super important, yeah. yeah. But also um, the guys that, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and you know, different. We do actually have a pretty good cross section. The only thing we're, I think, the only thing we're missing is something in the southeast. But it's it's not that many opportunities to hunt long range in the southeast. No. I mean, you can, but. Um, you know, most people, when you consider hunting long range, you're thinking, you know, out west, midwest, you know, east of the Mississippi base or west of the Mississippi. Um, you know, and we, we've tried to pick as many different terrains as possible. I mean, from from New Hampshire, where it's going to be wooded and, you know, you're going to have to figure out your trajectory and your line of sight to Tennessee, which is going to be a little bit more open to uh you know wyoming and idaho which are going to be big wind um uh, mm. you know rocky terrain possibly uh, canyons you know longer yep. shots so we're trying to and then uh, something for everybody yep and then dusty brixner's place out in new mexico, new mexico is going to be cool yeah um sounds like we're going to have a northern is it is it, or uh let me think where where did Jake and John say they were going to do theirs again? That's in Northern California. Northern California. Yeah, I think so. We're yeah, we're talking about like north of the Mendocino, I think. National yeah, Forest. Half yeah. hour forty half hour forty minutes north of Sacramento, so it's almost almost. Uh, I think it's up in like the Redwood Winery area. Oh, oh yeah. Yep. I, I yep. Think. That's going to be Arbuckle. awesome. I haven't looked at it, but it's supposed to be. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's going to be. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be, that's going to be kind of a, there's going to be timber. There's, I mean, there's it, that should be a really cool match. And you have three of the top shooters in the nation putting it on. You have Jake, (laughs) John Pinch and Dan Perticini. Yeah. All three are hunters too. So yeah, yeah. that should be a really class hunter. John's hunted on every continent. I think, you know I mean? And he's got some awesome, awesome animals. Like he, he's a DYI guy, and he's been really successful at it. So yeah, yeah. it's uh, and he's been he's had a lot of input on this too. As you know, like he doesn't he doesn't sail. You know, if he's unhappy with something, he'll say something. But other than that, he's like, no, it's that's that's a good idea. Right. Um, we're just trying to make it a realistic environment for really any hunter. Right. Um, you know, a lot of guys aren't going to ever really hunt long range, but it's one of those things too, is like, you know, as for, you know, you, you ask a guy and like, I've, I've spent 10 days at 
you know, the, the um, Great American Outdoors show out in Pennsylvania. And you ask him, he's like, you know, he's like, man, I don't really need a rifle that shoots, you know, at a thousand yards. And I was like, well, it shoots really good at a hundred yards too. Um, you know what I mean? Right. And, and, but if you ask him, if you sat down and ask him and it said price was no limit, what would you want to do? He's like, well, I'd want to go to Montana, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, or something like that, and go for, you know, on a on an elk hunt with an opportunity for a big bull. Right. And I was like, that's, you know, that's pretty much everybody's desire, I think. So, you know, I was like, why would you, you know, and this gives guys an opportunity to train for that moment, if it ever comes, or if they ever decide to do it, they, they, they won't be scrambling at the last minute to try to figure it out right. right um and you know a lot of a lot of guys like uh joe faulkner and some of the other guys that are guides they their job is to put people in front of animals that's their job um and to a person they're like no this is a good idea because when you know they get a customer and they're like you know they can talk to them about them like have you ever shot one of these matches or have you ever done any training or anything like that? And if they're like, yeah, I shot a couple of hunter series matches last year. Uh, you know, I'm, I feel pretty comfortable at this distance and that guide will be able to have a, he'll change the way he thinks about his hunt. Right. Absolutely. And they're going to be way more successful. Yep. You're just going to be a lot more successful. Yeah. I've talked to a, a, a lot of guides who, you know, they tell you horror stories of, well, that client told me that, you know, they were excellent shooter and marksman. They were comfortable out to 800, 1,000 yards. And so I put them on an animal at seven something or whatever. And, you know, they shot the animal in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That, that guy had no business shooting an animal at that distance then. You know. Right. And, and, and it's up to guides to be. And I've, I've had the opposite experience where it's like, you know, on my odd ad hunt, I was like, man, I, I can make this shot. There's nothing around this thing. This dude is huge, and he's just standing there, but he's looking at us. If we try to get closer, he, he's going to run. He's like, and I've got this shot. And the guy's like, nah, let's try to get closer. And I get it. He doesn't know me. Right. You know, he doesn't know what I'm capable of. So, um, you know, so again, we lost that animal. But, you know, it, it, it all works out. But the you know just the trying to trying to get the average guy more comfortable out in the field that's that's what this whole series is for i think yes there's going to be some guys that are really into hunting they're really into the competitive world like you know john me a bunch of other guys they're and they're paul and you know a lot of the utah guys i think they started shooting the the race gun series to get better for hunting. Yes. I don't think it was the other way around. No. You know, so this gives those guys an opportunity, you know, to compete in, you know, and in, in my mind, what's maybe more rational than, um, you know, instead of just going to compete, to compete, which I do that anyway, um, there's a purpose. There's more of a purpose behind this series than just the competition side of the house. Right. Um, and that kind of leads into that power factor thing. And I think that's the, that's the top if I've taken the most beatings on and I'm okay with it. Um, but it was a number we picked or I picked it 
for the Hornady match because that's what it says on the box. It's that simple. You grab a 6.5 Creedmoor, you know, 140 ELDMs, and it says 27.15 on the side. It just happened to be 380,000. Now, on the on the the scientific end, and on the long side of it is, is that what's recommended by Boone and Crockett is a thousand foot pounds for white-tailed deer, a thousand foot pound energy. So, a six-five Creedmoor with that 140 bullet started off at 2715 for 380,000 power factors, still going to have a thousand foot pounds of energy at 650 yards at sea level. So there, and, and, you know, if we start, if we, if we start dropping this thing arbitrarily, we dropped it for factory ammunition because we understand that, you know, mass produced factory ammunition and these guys are going to stay well within the pressure. They have to think about gas guns. I mean, there's a lot of different, um, decision-making processes that, that, that go into making factory ammo. We can make an exception for that, you know, because we know that, you know, they're just, they don't have control over their reloading processes because they're buying that factory ammo. Um, and with, um, so that's the only, that's the only addendum that we have. Everybody else is going to have to make power factor. And, you know, if, if all of a sudden we're allowing, you know, this is a hunter series, but we're allowing guys to shoot. 22 BRs or something like that. I'm like, that just doesn't make sense. Well, take, it, doesn't, it doesn't show us as seriously being about hunting. It just, you know, at that it's point, more about the, it's about the competition and not, you know, right. the competition that's going to help guys become better in the field. Right. You know, and, and again, you know, it's a competition because I want to do better than my friend. I don't, I, don't ever think I'm going to be a top shooter in the world. I don't have that fantasy uh, or that, you know, that, that vision. But my own personal goals are what I'm going after. And, and you know, that's, I don't ever want to zero a stage. I don't, you know, I want to shoot better than 50%. Then I want to shoot better than 60 and then better than 70. And I keep upping my personal goals. And then one day yeah. my goal is going to be to beat you, you know, and, and that, <laughs> that goal might happen when you're on, you know, you're in, you know, on a cane and you're walking around <laughs> and I can kick you in the shin. That might happen that day, but I have no delusions that of, of my capabilities. And that's, you know, I, I wrote a whole story. I wrote an eight page story about my hunt with Paul and my shot with, with Paul was at 544 yards. And that's the first big game animal I've ever shot. And the only reason I've ever, I took that shot was the day I got up to Paul, Paul's house, he and I went to the range and we practiced shooting at different targets, at different sizes, at different uh, distances. We practiced mm -hmm. getting in and out of position. We practiced working together as a team. And I know that because I've been shooting precision rifle competitions NRL for the past five years, I know that I'm comfortable at that range. Yep. And, and when I took that shot, I didn't even know what the distance was. Paul, right. You know, I got into position, Paul called out my dope. I dialed my dope. I lined up. I think, you know, I did everything that I was directed to do. 
and I took that shot and the animal was dead in one shot. It's perfect. And, you know, having Paul Dallin as, as it, the guy helping you out, that's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> yeah. right, that, that's, like, that's like having Kobe teach you how to do jump shots or whatever, right? That's right. Like, yeah, exactly. Or, or whoever. I don't follow basketball. Yeah. 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 It, so, yeah. It, you know, if I was on my own and if I didn't know how to shoot, I would have never taken a 500 yard shot. That's a nervous, that's a nervous distance, it right? Is. And even, yeah, especially if you're on your own, like this year. Yeah. Again, the, the mule deer I shot was at 480 and, and I sat there for a while, you know, contemplating life on, you know, whether I should do that or not. Cause I, nobody else was around, you know, I was like, I know it's, it's getting close to getting dark. Um, I'm, I might be out there with a headlamp searching for blood trail and stuff like that. It's one of those things like, you know, it, it's a ner- it's a nervousness that you can't duplicate anywhere else. No, you, you know, that's another thing with this competition is that we want that we want that little bit of a stress on on our guys. We want them to feel nervous. We you know we want those shots to to matter. That first shot needs to matter more than the second shot. Yep. Um, and, and how do you, and that's what we're trying to do. And, and of course this is going to evolve over time. I'm sure I think we've got good bones on it and it's going to, it's going to take off, but that's what we're trying to do. And, and you figure that's with, you know, if you have a 20 stage match, four engagements per stage, that's 80 engagements for a hunter in two days. Right. I mean, you can't duplicate that anywhere else unless you're coyote hunting or prairie dog hunting or something like that where, you know, you can shoot 800 of them in a day. But, um, but you know, it's, that's the, what, that's the essence that we're trying to capture. We're trying to capture adding stress onto a hunter, them testing their equipment them knowing their equipment, um, and just becoming more comfortable with uh with the shooting sequence you know and that's what i've seen a lot with with hunters you know and and you know after you know working at gunworks and and stuff like that is that there's you know there we're we've got a different exposure like i had you know just gun handling skills or are um for your average hunter are just not really there you know they just they they pull the thing out of the out of the out of the i mean they've got lives that don't don't evolve around shooting like i would i was shooting this morning you know <laughs> off my deck you know i'll be shooting this weekend with keely and mike lilly coming out yeah. so i mean i just do it so much that it's second nature versus you know and that's what you know we can provide an opportunity for guys to feel stress to test their equipment to test themselves um and have some nervousness over the shots, you know, because other than. That, that experience is invaluable because the reality is your average hunter doesn't shoot more than a couple of times a year. We shoot on average a couple of times a month. You know, that's a big difference. Week? <laughs> a couple times a week? Okay, you're a couple times a week. I'm a, I'm a couple times a month. <laughs> and, I, I don't, and I don't practice anymore. I know guys that shoot every day. Yeah, you know, but uh, but yeah, and that's 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 the that's the market we're really trying to capture, and those are the you know having getting people excited over it, you know, get 
and that's a big expenditure. It's a, it's a, it is a lot of money for a guy, but so is a hunt, yes. you know, and, and I'd rather spend my money, you know, I'd rather, I'd, I'd spend a bulk of my money anyway on competitions like this, because then when I do go for a, I mean, one of my dream hunts is I want to do a mid-Asian Ibex. Nice. And I want to do a Marco Polo. So, and that's, that's an enormous amount of money. I mean, in the neighborhood of thirty-five, dollars $40,000. Yeah. And, you know, someday I'm going to do it. And, you know, at, at, at that point, for me, physicality is going to be, you know, I, I need to get into better shape for something like that. The shooting aspect of it won't be the challenge. For other folks, the physicality isn't a, isn't a problem. The shooting end of it might be, right? You know, so yeah, it's, yeah, just it's another opportunity for, for guys. That's right. I'm excited about it. Yep. Let's come back to this yeah. and do another one after the first match. Absolutely. And maybe we could get Chaz on there and just see what his take was on it as well. And um, but yeah, this is going to be a continue. I think a continuous thing. It should be anyway. It, yeah, the podcast. Um, you know, our our goal. Just so you guys know, our goal at the podcast is <clears throat> to provide everything from knowledge and experience to hunting stories to subject matter experts from our sponsors um, and subject matter experts that aren't our sponsors, just from people that are better from us because. Um, I'm one of those guys, I learn better from experience and I want to learn from the best. And I think that, yeah. you know, most of us are that way. So we're going to find the best people in the hunting um, that are hunters, not necessarily in the hunting community, but they could be, uh, you know, we have some great connects with people that are uh, in the military. If you want to learn um, land navigation. That's a big thing if you're going backcountry hunting, you know, land navigation or tracking is huge and, um, you know, field medicine in case you get injured or, or you get a little splinter or whatever it is. Um, so we're going to be talking about everything that has to do with hunting from the best possible people that we could find to, to come on the show. So we hope you guys subscribe and we hope you guys liked our initial show. Um, I know... Uh, Scott and I were kind of a little bit all over the place at the beginning, just because we're so excited about this. <laughs> That's um, right. But ho hopefully uh, you took away something from this. Hopefully we'll see you guys at a match. Scott and I are going to be, I, I mean, I'm going to be at every single match. I think Scott's planning to be at every single match. So when you see us, I mean, come up, say hi, join us on, you know, at the campfire, join us for, you know, a, a, a beverage. Whatever it is, um, the biggest thing about the NRL is is community, and we can't wait to share that with everybody. Yep. So, Scott, right. man. Thank, thanks, hey. Travis. All right, buddy. All right, can't wait to see you, man. We'll see you in a couple weeks, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You take yep. care. For everybody right, listening, man. be safe, keep shooting, and we'll see you all soon. Take care.